Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Hey, what's up Wednesday night? How you guys doing? Here you are. Welcome to ACF Church. You made it. Thanks for coming on this rainy, rainy day and making this a priority to be part of uh, the ACF family. If you're new, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so glad to see you guys here tonight. And uh, somebody brought cookies to the worship team. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to eat a cookie while I'm talking. Is that all right with you guys? So cookies are seriously my nemesis. I'm telling you what. Um, before we get into uh, what we're talking about tonight, can we just give a hand to everybody who's watching online? Give them a hand today. Yep. And uh, you guys are already shooting rubber bands at me, and so you want to hold off on that. You need the rubber band. So hold on to the rubber band. Uh, don't shoot at your neighbor quite yet, um, or it's just going to be all crazy in here. All right? So we don't need, like, a junior high craziness in church. Uh, maybe we do. Maybe we need more of that. Maybe you guys need some of that today. So uh, we are starting a new series um, called A Force of Habit. We're, we're talking about our habits. We're talking about our tendencies. And it's going to be four weeks. You guys, listen, if you can make a commitment to be part of this for all four weeks, let me just really encourage you to do that. Also, before we get into the message too much, just one thing you might see in the lobby is uh, Pastor Stewart has set up a TV out there. And uh, there's some clips from the block parties last year and some signups out there. Here's the deal. Every summer, we launch block parties in our community. And, uh, and part, of the, part of the idea is just we, we feel like the church should be a place where people enjoy each other and build relationships. We want to be doing that in our, in our neighborhoods. But also, it's a platform for you to get to know uh, your neighbors, for you to start those relationships. And so it's so easy. Listen, uh, you guys could fill this up tonight. There's 12 slots and our outreach team will literally show up to your house with a bounce house, with a big grill, with a sound system, and they're going to get it all set up for you. All you got to do is pamphlet your neighborhood and invite your neighbors and put on a great block party and just build some friendships. And, you know, we did it uh, in our neighborhood last year. Uh, my wife and I put on a block party, and it was awesome. People that we'd never met came out of the woodworks, and people were just like, you know, this is how it's supposed to be. Remember back in the day when it's like, oh, I need a cup of sugar. I'll go, you know, talk to my neighbor, or, you know, I need I need to borrow a rake. I'll go talk to my neighbor. You know, people don't do that as much anymore. And so there's, there's almost, I think, a thirst in people to kind of have that relationship with the people around them. So um, it's super easy, really, um, to, to sign up for that. And, uh, and it's just a, it's an easy win. It's a great way to build relationships. And so I'd love for you guys to leave no space for Sunday morning. Uh, just fill them all up. Uh, there's plenty of homes represented here, and it's going to be a blast. But here we are, new series, uh, Habits. And uh, I don't know if you keep track, but um, I, I notice I have a lot of bad habits in my life, a lot of things that I do um, without even thinking about it, and one of them is just eating. Um, anybody else sort of addicted to food? Uh, I just, everybody, all right, so I know where to begin. Um, so this is, this is hard for me. When there's food in front of me, I just, I just can't resist, and, and it's just something I, when I see chocolate chip cookies especially, like I said, these are, these are hard to resist. You know, when you smell them, and they just, they t in fact, some of you guys, you want to come up right now and just, you know, run up here on the podium and take this out of my hem. But uh, it's hard to, to, to preach and, and uh, chew at the same time. I didn't think about that. Here, just talk amongst yourself. <laughs> but I was reading a Duke University study this week, and they were talking about how 
of what you do happens by habit. 40% of everything that you do, like, like when, you, when you woke up this morning and you got dressed, did you think about which foot to put the sock on first? Like, did you think about that? When you went to tie your shoes, did you think about, like, which way you're doing, like, the bunny boy, bunny boy, like, wrap the loop and run around the tree? Like, you don't do that anymore, right? You do that with little kids because they have to learn it. But as an adult, you just, you tie your shoes, you're out the door, right? Things that used to take a lot of energy and a lot of thought don't take a whole lot of thought anymore. Maybe you drove to work and uh, you didn't even really think about how to get there. Or have you ever been on a long trip? And like you arrived at your destination and it was late at night and you're like, I literally don't know how I got here. I have no idea. I just like, I pulled in the driveway and all of a sudden like I've arrived and I can't remember the last 50 miles of this trip, which is like time to get off the road, take a nap, right? But we've done this before and it's just, it's habits, it's routines. And in fact, so I was reading this book and a lot of what we're going to talk about in this series um, comes from a book called The Power of Habit. And if you want to read that, pick that up this week. It's a lot of great information about how our habits work, how our minds work. Um, But uh, I'm not making all this stuff up. I I got a lot of it from the book as we talk about that. But in the book, he talks about how what we have in our life are are these cues, these things that sort of set us us off, right? Like uh, a chocolate chip cookie smell coming from the kitchen, right? So you're downstairs, you smell it. All right, I'm getting out of this chair. I mean, there's something awesome on TV, but, you know, the game's on, but it's worth it. I'm so going to stand up right now. Like, it's Saturday morning, but I'm going upstairs. And, and, and then you, you see the cookies, and that's the cue, and you smell it. And then the habit is, see cookie, eat cookie, right? See cookie, eat cookie. And then the reward is, like, delicious cookie. So good. I feel good. I like it. Feels, fills my belly. And I love, I love cookies. And so what we have is what's called like this habit loop. And so next week's going to be all about the habit loops that we find ourselves in, the, 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 the journey that we're on where we, we just, we've got these cues and these programmed routines that a lot of us haven't thought that much about, and then this reward that keep us, keeps us coming back and doing these things. And, and maybe it's cookies, but maybe it's uh, other things that are far more damaging in your life uh, that you find yourself doing. And so that's really next week. But we, uh, we find ourselves this week in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you want to open your Bibles to that, that's where we're going to be here in just a couple of minutes. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But... Uh, Proverbs 25, 28, would you put that on the screen? Because this is a great passage. It says this, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So somebody without self-control is like a city broken into. Now, I don't know if you've ever been broken into before, had somebody break into your house. Uh, A friend of mine had somebody break into his car a little while back, and he was telling me about it, and he's like, all they did was steal the change from the center console. That's all they took. He's like, I had like, you know, a handgun in the glove box. I'm like, that's a great idea. Leave that in your car. And he had like, you know, a boom box and some other stuff in the, in the a boom box. Well, that's probably not a boom box. Like a kicker sub or something. Where, it's like 1999 now. Uh, he had some, some stereo equipment like in the back. And, uh, and he's like, all they took was the change in the middle. And he was really frustrated, really violated, you know, that somebody would do this. And I'm like, hey, dude, did you lock your door? He goes, I never lock my door. And I was like, well, somebody's going to break in. That's just how it works. You don't lock the door, somebody's going to steal your stuff. And, and what, what he's talking about here in, in the Proverbs is that this is what it's like when somebody doesn't have self-control. It's like a city without walls. It, it's like somebody who just leaves the front door open. And, and anything can come in and anything can go out, right? There may be things that come into your house that you think should not be in your house, but they're there because you left the door open. 
There's things that may go out of your house. There's your new flat screen TV. There it goes, right? There goes your stereo, right? Everything that you love in the house, you know, your children out the door. Why? Because, like, I didn't lock my front door. So he's saying in the Proverbs, like, this is what it's like when somebody doesn't have self-control in their life. And so there's been like a lot of studies done about self-control and about developing this. Um, there's this, this study that happened back in the 50s. I want to read this for you. It says this, Walter Mischel is an Ivy League, uh, Ivy League professor known for his experiments on self-control. Nearly 50 years ago, he created a test to see how various five-year-olds would respond to being left alone with a marshmallow for 15 minutes with instructions not to eat it. And with the promise that if they didn't eat it, here's the key, they would be given two marshmallows, okay? So the New York Times reports famously the preschoolers who waited longest for the marshmallow went on to have higher SAT scores than the ones who couldn't wait. In later years, they were thinner, earned more advanced degrees, used less cocaine, always a good thing. (laughs) I was reading that, I just had to laugh. I'm like, we're setting the bar high for ACF Church. If we could just, at the end of the series, use less cocaine. That's a win for us. It says, (laughs) you have no idea. You have no idea. All right. And uh, coped better with stress. Uh, At these first marshmallow kids, as they now enter their 50s, Mr. Mitchell and the colleagues are investigating whether the good delayers are also richer as well. So Mitchell wants to make sure that the nervous parents of self-indulgent children don't miss the key finding in this entire experiment. Here's the key finding. Listen. Whether you eat the marshmallow at age five is not your destiny. Self-control can be taught. Okay, so, so he's saying like there is a certain response that maybe you're born with, maybe you've developed, maybe it's been handed down to you by your parents. There's a certain way of responding to things, but self-control can be taught. There is hope for all of us that, that we, can, we can start to develop new habits and new ways of dealing with this. So, so what are some of your, some of, what, some of the desires, some of maybe the, the uh, appetites that you have in your life? I, I, I wrote a few down, a few things, maybe chocolate chip cookies or one of your things. So I wrote down sex, uh, food, wealth, relationships, sex, influence, <laughs> possessions, popularity, friendship, sex, respect, Creativity, authenticity, technology, security, comfort, and sex, right? Yeah, so I'm just saying. I mean, it's like people are driven by a lot of different things, uh, food and sex, obviously, big ones. But a lot of other things, uh, you know, being able to, uh, to, to have a lot of good stuff, right? A lot of us are driven by stuff. Many of you are driven by security. If it can make me feel secure, maybe you grew up in a house where nothing was secure, Dad was going from job to job to job, and maybe you were moving to house to house to house, and you didn't know, like, if you were maybe even going to get another meal. Maybe you are struggling financially. And so now, as an adult, it is all about security. Just make the safe decision. Maybe that's what drives you now. Influence, right? That's a driver, isn't it? I mean, having, having a job where you can influence people, getting respect, a lot of men in the room, listen, this is a driver for us. It's, it's one of the things that we desire is respect, is for people to think well of us. And I, I hope that's everybody in the room. And the thing about this list is that these aren't bad things. Like, all of these things can be good things. It's just like everything else in life, every good thing that we've experienced has been distorted by sin. Do you know that? It's been distorted by our pride, by the way that we, like, we become out of control with these different things. Because you know that any of these things can be bad things, right? 
Too many, too many possessions, right? Where you find yourself surrounded by junk that you don't even want anymore. You're like, why did I spend so much on that thing? Or, you know, whatever it may be, it, it's sex. Sex is something that's a gift of God, but when taken out of, outside of the confines that God gives us to experience it, it becomes an unhealthy thing. Maybe you've experienced that. You're like, yeah, I'm still experiencing some of that pain from past decisions in that. And I don't know if you know this, but the, the lack of self-control is really the beginning of all sin in the world. I mean, as you go all the way back to the story of the garden with Adam and Eve, you've got, you know, man and woman in this beautiful place, all the, the best food, you know, this beautiful place to live. Uh, you know, they had, they had shelter. They had everything that they needed, and they were given one, one rule. Do not eat of this one tree. And so what do they do? They just stand by the tree, right? Just stand by the tree. That's the tree. And so then Eve, what we know about the story, she grabs the fruit. She eats the fruit. Adam comes over as a, as a passive husband. He doesn't stand up for what's right in that moment. He just walks along with his wife. She says, hey, this is delicious. He goes, that's great. Give me some of that. He eats the fruit, and then sin enters the world. It was the beginning of all of what we experience today. It was perfect. And it was distorted by, I would say, a lot of different things, but there, there was a lack of self-control, certainly. A lack of an ability to say, that's just one thing that's not going to be good for me. I'm going to believe my God, my creator, the one who gave me all of this good stuff to enjoy. I'm just going to trust him. I'm just going to trust him and believe that it's better without that. So it's really a lack of self-control. And so here's my question for you right now as we get into this. Ask yourself this question. Are you going to end up liking the person that you're becoming? In 10 years, in 20 years, in 50 years, as you look back on the you that you are today, are you going to end up liking that person? Uh, The the you that you're becoming tomorrow and the next day, are you going to like the person that you're becoming? Because I would say this, I would say most of us are on this road toward becoming people that we're not that proud of. Which is a problem, isn't it? I mean, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're just kind of checking out church and you're trying to figure out what to do with all this, it's a problem that we're sort of in this cycle that's not going to produce the life that we hope that we would have. So the question is, what would you do to change that? What would you do? If you could look back and see some of the things that you wish you would have done differently years ago, what would you do today to change some of the outcomes that you're going to see in years to come? What would you do to change those things? I would say it's time for us to look at our habits honestly. It's time to go to the Word of God and ask God, how can we change some of these things? And and I want to clarify it before we even get too far into this, because this can sound a lot like a a self-help speech um, if you're not careful. And the thing is, self-control is not not anti-gospel. It's not something, it's not anti-gospel, but... And I would say this, self-control without the gospel, without Jesus, is really the beginning of religion, and like unhealthy religion. Like when Jesus, he, he, was, he was on this earth, the one thing he spoke a lot about and railed against was religious activity, doing good things for the wrong reasons. Because there were all these people who he called the, these Pharisees, these religious leaders who looked what he called really clean on the outside, but were really dirty on the inside. And so what I don't want you to hear in, in this whole story is like, hey, that's, that's a great idea, Brian. I'm going to leave church tonight. I'm going to get my life together. I'm going I'm to clean it all up, make some good choices. I'm going to be an upstanding citizen, not going to lie anymore. And I hope you do all those things. That's great. Uh, a little less cocaine, cocaine. That's great. Like if you want to make better choices, please make better choices. But understand that Jesus is the only way to, to God. Like Jesus is the only way that you get access to God, only by his grace. 
And, and Jesus is the only way, really, that we're going to start to change these things. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, uh, get into that here in just a second. But um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to be. And this, this, uh, this book... And we just went through the book of Ephesians, which was awesome. It was so good. I love that study. And if you missed any of those messages, they're all online. You can watch all of those online and listen to them on there. Uh, but, but this book is really like a prequel written to this church in Corinth. And so this is another letter by Paul written to this other church. That This was the first church. Uh, you can read all about the beginning of this church in the book of Acts. And so this is 1 Corinthians. And it was probably actually written by Paul in Ephesus when he was getting ready to plant the church that we uh, were talking to all the last series. And so Paul is speaking to this church, and it, it exists on the southern tip of Greece. And if you don't know anything about Corinth, Corinth was a crazy place. It was a, it was a hub of commerce and of technology and, and, all, and, and education and entertainment. I mean, it was just lots was going on. It's a port city. And so as a port city, there were always people and, and things coming and going, and a lot of industry growing in Corinth. And so with that, with all of the happenings and the busyness in that city, was this church that was growing. And, and as you could imagine, being in that kind of place, in that kind of environment, what do we tend to do? We tend to kind of become like the place that we're around. And so the church was struggling with a lot of different things. Paul was hearing a lot of problems, a lot of fighting within the church. He was hearing about problems of, of like sexual immorality in the church and all kinds of things that he was, he was responding to in this letter. Now, one thing you need to know about Corinth that was going on around there is, is in that day, there were these games that happened, these athletic games, right? kind of like the Olympics are coming up in Rio. You guys excited about that? I always get excited to watch the Olympics, and that's coming, but during their time, the Olympics ex existed, but there were also these other games that were second only to the Olympics that existed right there in that area. And so Paul is writing to these people that understood this athletic atmosphere. In fact, when you were seven years old, my, I've got a daughter, and she's seven. When you were seven years old, you began training to become an Olympic athlete. You, you started the training, and I just imagine my little girl like, okay, this is what happens. You're seven years old. We're going to start working on your gymnastics. We're going to start working on you, get you all kind of ready for this. And it was interesting. The way that they wanted to grow their kids up, I found this in, in one commentary. It said, parents wanted kids with a noble soul and a beautiful body. That's, that's the way that they put it. Like they wanted kids who were, who were noble and upright on the inside and beautiful on the outside. And that was all part of this, this culture of, you know, it's all about beauty. It's all about how you look. And it doesn't sound familiar, does it at all? And it's just, it was all about like how you looked on the outside. And, and, but they also wanted you to be noble and upright on the inside. And that's what some of the discipline of these games would cause is like, you guys know, if you're an athlete, you got to be disciplined, right? If you're an athlete, if you want to be good at it, you, you learn how to discipline yourself. And so people understood this whole thing. In fact, there was this whole other culture, um, th this community called Sparta. You guys ever heard of Sparta? And, and so this was like a military a training for kids. They, they grow up in this. And, and the word Sparta literally means self-restraint. And so they would teach these kids to be self-restrained and to control their bodies, to control their minds, so that they could be military people as they grow out. They could be warriors. So you need to know this context as we get into this, this chapter, as Paul talks, because this is the stuff people lived. I mean, it's like, it's like football in the U.S., you know, or, or whatever your sport is. I mean, like, it's like major league stuff that, that's everywhere. People know what's going on. So Paul is trying to reach into this culture. And he's trying to give them some, some tools and some ways of seeing how they live 
uh, through their culture. And so, in fact, let me, let me just pray for us as we start off and we'll get into this text. Jesus, thank you for your word today. And God, we just want to slow down our hearts and, and uh, consider for just a second who we are and who we're becoming. Uh, God, we, we want in, in 10 years and in 20 years to look back and be, be grateful and proud of the people that we've been. And so, God, we, we need your grace so that we might see things for what they are. God, could you strip away the blinders, God, the, anything in us that would, would reject the truth of your word? Could you allow us to grow and to apply it and to be changed by it, God, and that we as individuals and as a church would look more like you as we leave here today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 9 is where we're getting here. Uh, verse 24 is where we start off. It says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. So the first thing I want you to write down is simply this, running isn't winning, so run to win. Anybody an athlete? Anybody a runner? Some runners in the room? So my wife is a, is a college runner. She ran for the U- University of Alabama, Roll Tide, and, uh, and she loves to run, and it's all about the competition with Amanda. Now, when we were back in Colorado, uh, we decided to, uh, to start a, a, a softball team at the church, which was awesome. And so guess who was the coach? My wife. Yeah, somebody's like you. Not me. My wife. And somehow I made the team. I don't know how I made the team. Uh, I just, I, I don't know what happened. But so I made the team. Um, I, 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 I kind of knew the coach. And so coach got me on the team, and we start playing these games. And so there's different leagues in softball and community softball, right? There's, there is the competitive league, and then there's the leisure league, right? And we couldn't make the competitive league, so we were part of the leisure league, which she was not excited about at all. And so I just remember going through this, this whole season playing games with my wife. And for me, it was all about cold stones after. I'll be honest, like, I loved the game, I loved being with people, in fact, like, I caught this fly ball in the backfield, she put me, like, I think it was, like, left field in the far back, she's like, this is a really important position, you just need to play this position, honey, and, like, I just remember catching the ball once and putting my hand in the air and being like, I caught it, and she's like, come here, you know, you never do that again, they're just going to hit it to you, because you were surprised that you caught the ball, and so, like, the entire year is just terrible, and uh, we didn't win a game. And I loved it. I loved the whole season. At the end, she's like, I don't know if I'm ever going to do that again. Like, that was such a waste of time. We were terrible. Lost all these games. But we just saw things so differently. I mean, she, she wanted to win. I mean, even if it's just leisurely, she wants to win the games. For me, I was just, I'm glad to be here. I'm just glad to be part of this thing. We're hanging out. We're enjoying each other's company. It's great. Now, I feel like there's a lot of Christians and a lot of people that come to church that way. I feel like there's a lot of people that, that live our lives sort of like leisure league Christianity, right? Okay, so, so I showed up, I'm kind of here, I've got some friendships, you know, like I come to church and, you know, it's, it's a place to be and, you know, especially when, you know, my life's kind of jacked up, I, I can be part of this community and I need some help and I know I can call a pastor, I know I can call this, this small group and, you know, I can, I can get into this thing and get some help. And then, you know, other times of the year, maybe things are cruising along and so I'm just kind of showing up kind of putting in my time. You know, if people asked me what my religious affiliation is, if I had to, you know, fill in a bubble on some kind of test, I would fill in Christian, right? But we're living sort of this, like, leisure league Christianity, not really running to win anything. Now, for them, the thing that they won, you know what they won? This stupid little crown. 
They got this little crown, and, and, and Paul's going to talk about it in a second because it was like it was made of olive branches, it was made of pine, but it was this little crown that they would win, and that was the thing. I mean, I mean that, was, that was their status symbol. And, and we need to know this, that running isn't winning. Running isn't winning. And so for you, like, what is it that you're kind of leisuring along in, in your faith? Like, what is it that you haven't really taken that seriously, and maybe you need to rethink uh, and consider, like, what does it look like to actually run to win? Let's keep reading here. Verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. There it is. But we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. The second thing I want you to write down is simply this. We don't want to sacrifice for an unworthy cause, so define the win. So start off simply by knowing you want to win. And that's, that may be all you can do today. Like that may be as far as you get today is just simply deciding like, okay, I kind of want to do a good job of this whole following Jesus thing. And, and realizing that, the, again, I said it last week with this idea that like there's no middle ground. You're either on team Jesus or you're on, you're on team Satan, but you're not on the middle ground team. Like, you know, white flag, I'm just kind of, I'm just neutral. There's no neutral ground. There's no Canada when it comes to these relationships. You can't just sit in the middle. So who are you? Are you on team Jesus or are you not? And, and, and you have to learn how to, how to by way of, of the word of God, look at your life honestly and ask yourself, whose team am I on? Okay, so you start off by saying, okay, I want to run to win. Now we want to define the win. Like, what is winning? What does it look like to literally win as a Christian? And this is so key because, again, if you don't know what you're going after, if you don't know what you're trying to win, you're not going to know how to play the game. And so what is a win for you? Like, you might think of your kids and just start off with simply like like that. A win for me is my kids grow up to know Jesus. That's a win, you know? Maybe a win for you is that you've got a friend and, and at some point you actually get them to show up to church, and that's a win. Just a first step for them, just to show up to church and to see that, you know, Christians are weird, but they're not that weird, right? Like, it's, it's a place you can show up. It's not a big deal to, to, to be here. What is the win in your life? If you don't define the win, you're not going to know how to play the game, which is so important. Now, here's the thing. There's this thing in our brains called impact bias, Impact bias. Have you guys heard of this before? I was reading up on this again, uh, just, just doing some study. And it's this, this idea that these desires that we have in our life, these habits and things that we do, um, what happens in your brain is your, your brain's literally wired to, to go crazy when that desire is stimulated. And it, and it convinces you, it lies to you, and tells you that by doing this thing or not doing this thing, you're going to be completely fulfilled. You're going to be fulfilled. Uh, this is why something like buyer's remorse exists. Anybody ever had buyer's remorse? Anybody had one of those bad nights on Amazon? Like thing, life just wasn't going well, and uh, you got prime, and it was just a crazy bad night, and you, went, you woke up the next day, and you were like, is it past the time? Can I just like delete all this? Is it still coming? You know, and you got the confirmation emails, and ah, oh, man, you know, out of luck, because all this junk's coming to my house, and you wish you hadn't bought it, or, you know, you got the car, and man, like, it was so shiny, and it was so nice, you know, and it was zero down, you know, no down payment, and it was such a good deal, and you got it home and you're like, oh man, I, I, should, I, I can't buy groceries, but I have this really nice car and I wish I hadn't done that. It, it's, it's why these things happen. 
where your, your mind literally tells you, this thing will fulfill you. Just do it. Just do it. Like, like it's going to be okay. And, and many of you, when you come up against something like this, the words that pop in your head are, why not? Right? Why not? And, and what happens when, like, why not turns to, I can't stop. Right? And you get into these routines and these things in your life, and you're like, well, I don't have a routine of buying cars. It's the deeper, it's the deeper matter there. It's the part of you that says, this, this will somehow take away this pain, or, or, or just purchasing something will kind of make my problems go away, make me feel a little better. And for just a moment, the thing is, it kind of does. For just a moment, you do feel better. Maybe it's anger. Maybe you're, you're somebody who doesn't know how to control their anger. And you feel like at some point, I am justified to lash out, to scream my head off. You know, I'm, la- I'm justified to say these things that should not be said. And in the moment, it feels kind of good, kind of cathartic. Then you get on the other side of it, and you see the damage. And you're like, how did I think that this was going to be good? It's a, it's a habit cycle that we found ourselves in. Maybe it's resisting good things. Maybe you're in a habit of five minutes into my sermon, you are thinking about black ops and you can't think of anything else. Like five minutes into my sermon, you are thinking about the kids downstairs. You're just so worried. I hope they're okay. Like I hope my baby isn't like crying. I hope things. And so these are, these are habits that you get into and it's, it's, it's a way of losing your focus and not, not doing the things I think that God has for you. Maybe you have a habit of resisting opportunities to bless people. Resisting things and, and thinking, well, what's logical? What makes sense? Again, security, safety, comfort. What's going to make me feel good in this moment? It's probably not worth it. Maybe your, 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 your answer to all things when it comes to like stress, when it comes to God calling you out of this comfort, comfort zone that you have is it's probably not worth it. It's probably not. I'm just going to stay over here where it's safe. So you've developed habits and certain cycles in your life. So to break out of this, I think it's important to define what is winning in your life. And then, and then take the habits that you have and, and look at them through that lens. And ask yourself again, are these habits going to accomplish the win? If, if what I want to be in, in 10 years, in 20 years, if I want to look back and see that I was this kind of person, I, I, I loved my wife well. I, I was a great friend to my friends. I know that. Like I was there for them. I was a good student. I worked hard at school. I was a great employee. If you want to look back and see that person, then you're going to have to change your habits to, to become the person that you want to be. Time to redefine the win and determine how to get to where you want to go. In verse 27, I want to, I want to read this, just this first part. It says this, but I discipline my body. Paul says, I discipline my body. Now, when I looked up that word discipline, here's what it literally means. I punch myself in the eye. That's what it means. Isn't that great? Oh, the Bible's awesome. It, it literally means, I never knew this before, it means I punch myself in the eye. I discipline my body. Now, in these games that I was telling you about, th- there was, this, there was this, this game that was sort of like a, like a cross between wrestling and boxing. And sort of like MMA. Any MMA people? Like, there's some MMA stuff in Anchorage, and, like, people love that, watch MMA games. It was sort of like MMA. It was this, like, grappling, boxing type of match stuff. And so, literally, if you wanted to get out of the game, what you would have to do is get punched in the eye. And if you've ever been punched in the eye, you know what happens is your, your, your eye swells up, right? And when your eye swells up, you can't see anything. And so at the point that you can't see your opponent, at the point that you can't see what you're trying to, trying to do there, like you're done. You're out of the game. 
And so Paul literally says that thing about himself. Literally, like, I punch myself in the eye. Like, I discipline my body. Almost like he's saying, I am, I am doing anything and everything to change what I see as important in this life. To, to, to just blind myself to the things that I used to think were important and, and, and open myself to the things that I know are important to the kingdom of God. To the point of saying, like, I discipline my body, I punch myself in the eye. And this is a man that I think would. I just, as I read Paul's writing, I'm like, he would literally punch himself in the eye if that's what it took to accomplish the mission that he's going after. That's self-control. Now, that's self-control. That is disciplining yourself. And the thing about self-control as a Christian is it goes so much deeper than just not doing the wrong thing or doing the right thing. It's literally to change the way that you think, to change the way that you feel, which you know you can do that, right? You know you can control your feelings, you can, you can change those things, to change your impulses, to change your desires. And again, all of this comes in self-control, if you know uh, the, the passage in Galatians, the, the fruit of the Spirit, self-control is, is a fruit of the Spirit of God. When, when God is in you, you can develop self-control, but again, Paul would do anything, and I think what he's challenging us to do is to do whatever it takes to accomplish the win, whatever it takes to accomplish the goal, the things that we think are most important in this life, and do that. What would you do to become the person that you would be proud of in 10 years? Would you punch yourself in the eye? And how much farther would you go to be that person? Let's keep reading here. It says, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So the third thing is this. Starving yourself isn't feeding anyone. So make self-care your first priority. Now this is going to seem a little uh, counterintuitive for some of you. Um, Self-care maybe is not something that you excel at. Um, Maybe it feels selfish to care for yourself, you know. But I just, I think of that whole, the illustration of like, you know, like when you get on the airplane and, you know, the lady at the front, she says like affix your own air mask before assisting others, right? There's this whole understanding that if we aren't healthy personally, we're not going to be good for anybody. And some of you need to just get permission to sleep, you know? Like you, just so you know, like sleep, get some rest, go read a book, go on a vacation, uh, care, care for you. Go read them. I mean, do whatever it takes to, to just get healthy personally. And Jesus says this. He says, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, like that's where you're going to get life. If you abide in me. And so if you want to really have fruit in your life, if you want to see things come out of you that you're going to be proud of, it's going to mean being, being healthy and being tethered to Jesus. It's going to come from personal health. Like, if, if, if you're not tethered to Jesus, if, if you're not tethered to the vine, you're going to be dying. That's what that means. You're going to die apart from the vine. And so for, you, for us, at, at a very basic level, that's Jesus. We need to be tethered to Jesus. And, and that's, that's in a lot of different ways in your life. But it also means that you would just take care of your body, take care of yourself psychologically, take care of yourself emotionally, and, and that you would be healthy personally because that's not helping anyone. And this is hard for me, and I'm just preaching to myself as much as anybody, because you guys, listen, like for the past couple years, as I took over as lead pastor here, this has been hard for me. 
Um, because personally, like, I've just thought if you just stick your nose down and just get the work done, then good things are going to happen. Anybody believe that lie before? If you just work harder, you just keep pushing and you push and you push, and you can make things happen by pushing and pushing, but what, what Jesus is trying to tell us through the, the vine and the branches is that if you want to actually see fruit that lives, something that actually sustains life, things that are actually valuable to the kingdom of God, then, then it needs to come from you being tethered to Jesus and being personally healthy. And so for me, so you guys know, like, I'm trying to kind of live the long game here a little bit. Uh, it, it's like, I take weekends, just so you know. Like, I, I work a pretty typical week, and I go home to be with my family. And, um, like, I leave stuff here that isn't done. And I don't answer some of your emails until Monday. And, and that's just, that's a decision I've made. Because I know that if, if I just become consumed by what it is that I'm trying to do, I'm going to be no good to anybody. And so maybe that's your habit is just work, 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 die, right? That's my plan. But again, are you going to be proud of that? Are you becoming the person that you're going to be proud of in 10 years, 30 years, 50 years from now? Or do you need to redefine what the win is? And do you need to start off by just being healthy so you can accomplish that win, so you can accomplish the goal? So again, preaching to the choir, I feel this as much as many of you do, um, but, but t- getting some rest is going to multiply you in ways that maybe you haven't ever seen before. I want to finish up with this passage in Colossians, and it's not going to be on the screen. It's Colossians 3.2. You can flip to it if you want to. Um, It just says this, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So here's how you do it. Here's what you do. Let me just tell you, you're not strong enough to do this. The thing that you want to beat, maybe for you it's like, I just want to quit smoking. Um, I just want to stop screaming at my family or my friends. I, I just want to, like, I want to be a more generous person. I want to be more... You don't have the strength in, in you to do it. You just don't. Uh, you might be able to work up enough strength to do it once, you know, or to do the right thing for a little while, but it is not sustainable unless you're tethered to Jesus. And so this is where it all begins, guys. Listen, it all begins by you looking to things above, by you having a better vision, And so once you have a better vision, you guys know the song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? And the things of earth will become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I love that hymn, one of my favorites. It's it's this simple idea that when you look to Jesus, when he is what you focus on, the things that you used to to desire for, the the old appetites, the like, I just need more cookies in my life, and that's what's going to make me feel fulfilled and happy, those things start to change. And you start to pursue new things because you know that that's actually going to produce fruit in your life. You know that those things are actually going to give you joy that's going to sustain you. You know that that's going to make you the man or the woman that you're going to be proud of in 10 years, in 30 years. And that's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth resisting. And it's going to be worth doing something that's just plain hard. And it's not easy. But you guys know it's right. And so in your, in your uh, bulletins that you guys got today is just a simple challenge. I want you to grab that real quick. And, and before we, we sing, I'm going to give you just a couple seconds in silence to write down two things. The first thing is simply this. What is one thing that in the next 30 days, you can write that date in there, what, 30 days from now, for the next 30 days, 
what if we all as an entire church, everybody that's part of ACF Church, hundreds of people chose to do one healthy thing and, and to stop doing one unhealthy thing. And it might be simple. You're like, I just need to, you know, stop chewing with my mouth open. I, I start there, but maybe it goes a little deeper than that. Maybe you've got something that you just know this is the thing that God's convicting me of that I need to quit in my life. It's got to stop now. And you can write that thing down. And what is it that needs to start? Because here's what I believe is that in the place of that thing that you stop doing needs to be something that you want to start doing. Because there's going to be a, a vacuum in your life. Once you take that thing out of your life, you have to put something healthy back in that spot. And so what are you going to put into that spot in your life? You know, when you have that impulse to go do that thing or eat that thing, you know, or say that thing, what are you going to do in that moment that's going to be your new routine? It's going to be your new desire, your new uh, habit. And make that your new thing. And so then the rubber bands that uh, you guys are shooting at me, um, what I want you to do is just, just put this on and you stretch it out a little bit so your hand doesn't turn black and blue. But, but put this on as a reminder for the next month of what that thing is that you're trying not to do and what that thing is that you're trying to start doing. And every time you look at it in the morning, every time you notice that it's there, somebody maybe at work or, or at school says, hey, why do you have a rubber band on your hand? What's the deal? You need to put your hair up or what's the deal? It's, it's to, to remind me of the things that I want to do, of the man that I want to be, of the woman that I want to be. And it's to remind me of, of the, the man or the woman that I don't want to be, that I want to avoid that person. Something else, you guys, that we're doing here that, that's kind of a big deal for us as a church and something you've heard about maybe uh, and seen some signs in the lobby, it's called Engage. And so we, uh, as a church, we don't want to just play church. We want to make a habit of being disciple makers. We as a community, we want to do more than just showing up here. We want to see people thriving in Christ, growing, healthy, taking their next steps. And so what we've, what we've developed, and this is like, may seem like a small thing to some people, but this is actually a really big step for us. This has been months of conversation to, to filter all of what we do to this, this one gathering. And so after every service, every other week here for I don't know how long, uh, you know, it may be years, but we're gonna do this thing called Engage, and it's just upstairs. It's gonna be 20 minutes. And so if you're here today and you're like, I don't know what my next step is. I don't really know like what needs to be my new habit in life. How do I start actually taking this seriously? How, how, what does it look like for me to really be on Jesus's team right now? Um, that if you've been a Christian forever, or if you don't even necessarily call yourself a Christian, that you can go up there and they're gonna walk you through some things about ACF's church and, and some things about being a disciple of Jesus and give you some ways that you can do that. In fact, I had a talk with a friend uh, earlier this week. We, we just sat down at Qdoba and had a conversation and he was like, yeah, I just, I feel like, um, I don't know, my, my, my beliefs and my, my faith is just kind of dim right now. I feel like I, I don't really know what to do. It's just, it's all kind of blurry. And so I essentially walked him through everything that we do upstairs and said, here's some options. Here's some ways that you can continue to grow. Because here's the thing, whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, you have a step that you need to take. You always have a next step. And so uh, those people up there, they're waiting for you to, uh, to help you do that. And uh, I know there's childcare after church, just it's gonna continue on, so you don't have to worry about the kids. It's 20 minutes that I really believe can change your life. And so we'd love for absolutely everybody to go through it. Um, it's just, it's, it's 20 minutes, and uh, I think it's gonna help you take your next steps in Jesus. And so I hope that you can write those things down today. I hope you guys are on the journey with us, and I uh, hope to see you next week as we continue this conversation. Let's pray together, and then we'll worship God. Jesus, thank you so much that 
your word speaks to us right where we're at. And, and God, I know that my own desires and my own willpower is not enough. God, I just, I've failed enough at that, that I know I need your strength. God, by way of your spirit and your grace to be transformed. And God, I don't want to just change my behaviors and my actions. God, I, I literally want to change my desires. So God, could you give me a better vision? Could you help me to, to thirst after better things? I pray that for everyone in this room, God, as they leave here tonight, I know on their way home, God, there will be doubts. God, God people will maybe say to themselves, that was just a, a waste of time. I don't need to do this. Or um, God, or, or maybe think that I can't do this. I've tried a hundred times to change this and it's never changed, God. So I, I pray that you would rid all of us of those doubts and we would trust in the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Oh, God, we need it. So God, help us to truly believe tonight and help us to be a church on the move towards you. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, love you guys, thanks.